0: listening. I'm Joan Hogan, and I'd like to welcome all of you to the Prairie Doc radio program. Rick Holmes is with me. He's our Prairie Doc, and he's ready to answer any questions you might have of a medical nature. Dr. Holm's specialty is internal medicine. He's worked with the Avira Medical Group Brookings and has served as a clinical professor at the University of South Dakota Sanford School of Medicine. Good morning, Dr. Holm.
1: Good morning, Joan Hogan.
0: You know, I got to tell you this. I don't usually give out compliments easily, oh. but you look better every week I see you. With a you more really hair. do. You get more hair, and you still have the color from saline. You know, oh, you're not white, you. like <laughs> so many of us are whiter than ghosts, but you really look good. It's thank good to you. have you it's looking to, healthy, and I hope feeling healthy. I feel good.
1: Oh, that's so good. So it's, it's nice to have. I mean, you know, I've got a fragile gut. That's all well, there is to it. I live with it. That's okay. It's not a big deal um you know
0: you got to be careful what you eat
1: and you know and then some and i also have a um i have a oh numb numb feet peripheral neuropathy so i was discussing that with my my surgeon and he said well you know it's the chemo that makes all the difference and uh, i said you know let's see numb feet alive
0: Let's numb see. feet Num alive, feet
1: alive. I think you know, or dead. I, I think I'd rather do the numb feet than dead. Yeah. And and it's been um, uh, an interesting deal. There was a radio interview at the Mayo Clinic radio station, All right. where they interviewed uh, Doctor Trudy, my surgeon, and he spoke to the fact that um, what no matter how they did the Whipple procedure, if they just go to Whipple and they did the procedure for pancreatic cancer. Four to eight percent would die, or would live, and all the rest would die. I mean, four to
0: eight percent.
1: Right, pancreatic cancer uh, was uh, did not have, and you know, for years that's what what it was, and that was the treatment: surgery. Period. Uh, But now what they're doing is the chemotherapy and radiation, chemotherapy, radiation, and then the surgery. He says you get in there and you basically find a a dead tumor, uh, and the the uh, you remove that tumor, and, and th- those people are living forever. If, if you do have tumor uh, that's still alive, then the percentages go down, which was my case. But still, at the same time, the, the, the method of doing chemo and radiation before surgery has changed the prognosis of pancreatic cancer. So
0: you're much better off than going in and having a live, active tumor. And try to remove that instead. Really destroy as best you can that tumor, then it doesn't do the spread as easily. That's it right. makes sense, but oh, you it kill takes the microscopic
1: spread because that's yeah. what was happening. All this microscopic uh, uh, spread, you know, hemato- hematologic spread of, of cancer. So uh, uh, their, um, their thinking is that uh, chemotherapy is the most important thing, and uh, the surgery is secondary. And we have to accept that, that uh, chemotherapy is more and more powerful and is therapy. And, and people out there are fearful of chemo. And I've been a person in my whole life that looked at uh, the fact that you see people who get chemo and then they die anyway, quote unquote. You know, so they why suffer. Bother, right? they, why bother? And the answer is, oh, you are missing a bet because though that's your best shot at it. And uh, not only that, but if you can tolerate the chemo, uh, it gives you. If it doesn't cure you, it gives you years, or at least uh, a significant amount of time uh, alive. So I'm happy to be alive, and I'm out two years and four months, Uh, and I get my. The normal
0: prognosis for pancreatic would have been maybe four to six months. That's it. That's right. Boy, that had to be scary when you first got that diagnosis. No, I oh, didn't have that. My book tears. wasn't
1: done. Then, you, know, <laughs> you had
0: things to do. You I had read it to little. Do. a little longer. I got that
1: doggone book done. Yes. So that's one big book. goal in my life. Now I've got to write a novel. <laughs> so You're working on that novel. You've been
0: talking about that novel for a few years. I really think you better get off the I better. Right? I better <laughs> get
1: going. Okay, I've got an outline, and, um, and I'm reading a fabulous book by Jess Walters called Uh, beautiful ruins and it's fabulous how he we weaves in and out uh four different historical times uh and uh you know it's just just a really well done novel and I kind of think the three novellas that I'm going to write I might just weave them in together as they go into one right right the first novella I've told you this haven't I? You the first have, one is fourteen hundreds. The first medical school in Italy, and there's a love story. The second novella is Hugh Glass, and he is uh, saved by an Indian medicine woman in eighteen twenty seven or eight, whatever that was. And then the third novella I've kind of changed it. It's going to be a prairie doctor, nineteen thirties, middle of the, of the dirty thirties, and, um, and uh, you know maybe. a couple of years after that.
0: So you go from the 1400s to the 1800s to the current, t- or not quite current, but Well, there's so
1: many changes that happened, right? you know, in the 30s up through the World War II, huge medical changes that happened, you know, uh, the surgical advances that were unbelievable. Did
0: they come about because of World War I, the surgical
1: advances? What, World War I and II, I, actually the surgical advances that happened, happened really uh, as a res- uh, response to war and civil war by the way was the big advance where all these people became doctors they and many of them became doctors on the spot I mean they didn't you know they hadn't gone to medical school and and there wasn't much to learn anyway and they learned to cut off limbs and they became surgeons because you learn to try to save limbs and right after that and they had anesthesia so anesthesia during civil war was a magical thing what they didn't have was antisepsis. You know, they didn't have... They didn't know how to keep uh, it clean. Right. They didn't
0: know about that. Yeah.
1: You know, one could change that third that third story uh, from the Dirty 30s to the Civil War, because the Civil War is really a great time. Now, these
0: but stories have been in your head. Are any of them anywhere near being on paper? Are parts of them an on out, paper? They're
1: on, on compute. There's there's a start of the first story, and there's an outline of the three stories on computer at this point so
0: so. you gotta start i gotta start that's good yeah okay well we have a start to the program talking about what dr holm has been doing the past year or two and we're happy what he's doing right now is staying healthy we're going to take our first break if you have any questions why don't you give us a call at six nine two fourteen thirty and keep in mind if you're not right here in this area, add 605 before you call because we know you're listening from way out there, maybe in sunny Arizona. <laughs> we, we try not to curse you out. But overall, <laughs> just give us a call. We'll be back right after these words. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. We know we should be answering your questions, but we haven't heard your call yet. And during the break, so give us a call, but uh, before we get to our first question, which we hope will come in soon, Bob is ready to write his own novella. He said, You're how about the, uh, the pirate doctor who is on the pirate ship? And Rick, you had something to add to that.
1: Oh, I mean, you've read the O'Brien series. No, I, I have not. Well, they made a movie, uh, Courageous... Uh, captain's courage captain or something like that yeah 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 and um you know it's a wonderful story of a captain of a of a big old 18 1700s uh, ship and he found fe- uh, he his best buddy uh, was the doctor who played the violin and who wanted to get off of every uh, of every island and study the flora and the fauna and do the science you know
0: that's what he was interested in, that, but yet he helped right. people medically too. I'm right, sure. right. I
1: mean, he was the surgeon when they were in war. There's always this this big story about uh, trying to save the lives of people who were who were caught with splinters flying as the as the cannonballs hit the side of the ships. You know, there was a, I read the the latest uh, book on Trafalga, uh, and it was fabulous story. About Nelson and uh, how he he led this big battle and he won the the um, and changed everything for many years to come and but the 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 amount of healthcare that they provide on those boats was just terrible. It was pretty sad. It was basically emergency surgery that was you know very crude.
0: I just started reading one about immigrants and an immigrant ship in the steerage class. Oh, and yeah. they just, uh, the help they had. One girl just got it w- was rough waters and she was thrown from her bunk and bit, banged her head. And they kind of looked at her and she didn't live a day. And the oh. people in steerage were so upset because they just wrapped her up and threw her in the ocean, didn't even say a prayer. Just thought that was wrong, you know. I think on most ships there might have been a prayer set or something, Uh, so people feared for their lives in those things, especially if you were down in steerage. Yes, wasn't an easy way to come.
1: Isn't it it funny to think that last century the number one leading cause of death was diarrhea? Well, it really was in World War II. You know, I mean, more people died of diarrhea than died of guns and and the
0: war you two knew that i had never heard that or read about that before bob of course reads everything so we're not surprised that he knows
1: dysentery
0: dysentery was the worst
1: and and what they would do the camp would come along and of course they would camp along a river their water source and they would get the water downstream from where the latrines were you know i mean and uh, it was they didn't they Hello, didn't realize. don't you think that you know, there might <laughs> you be? You don't st-
0: want to be drinking that? Oh, <laughs> oh.
1: man, and I, you know it was awful, and the, civil, uh, uh, the Confederacy had it worse than the, in the Union. Um, I just found out uh, two days ago that my great-great grandfather, Richard H. Powell, was a judge, but he had been a captain in the Confederacy. <laughs>
0: In the Confederacy, yeah. Oh he my, he,
1: yeah. Have you ever read the book Andersonville about the deplorable conditions? Yeah, it was of was horrible. The, yeah, that no, was. I, and I, you're I talking about it. the diarrhea. That's how it was. The latrines were on one end of the camp, and the only source of drinking water ran through it. And of course, yeah. <laughs> the, the death the death rate was like ninety seven and a half percent there. So uh, uh, you know, I, the, the there sense, you know right? there was a lot about clean water that made the U S. Uh, People would um, establish themselves in communities where there was a reasonable water source, and so they would thrive, and that community would be okay. Then they decided they're going to go west, young man, go west. So they'd go out west, and they would run through, you know, streams where it was, you know, not clean, and they would get sick, and people would get sick, diarrhea-wise, you know, GI-wise. Uh, and to find water, number one, and then to make it clean is another story. But the interesting thing that always gets me, and I've told this story a number of times and you've probably heard it, but when they, when they were building the railroad, um, they took a bunch of Chinese, and the Chinese remained amazingly well. And the Chinese thought it was because of their magical teas that they made they brought teas over and there were uh, medicinal teas that kept them from being sick it wasn't the tea it was boiling the water and um and uh, you know we didn't realize all of these microscopic illnesses uh, you know all of the bugs just
0: boil water and if they you would boil the water, them you,
1: would, you would kill the amoeba, you would, you would kill the bacteria, you know, you would it's kill the It's easier to think
0: that the teas were magical, though. That's kind <laughs> of fun to <laughs> think about. You know, it's, magical teas. It's
1: still there. When we were in China, we visited a, an, an old village. They had one oxen that everybody shared. They dried their rice out on the, on the cement. They had cement, you know, cement walks out in front of their, their houses. Um, they all lived together. It was semi-tropical, so the, ev- the windows were wide open. nobody had windows. The doors were wide open. They had one church, and the church that they had was a, um, a combination of religions. I mean there was like there was a Buddha statue and there was an ancient leadered statue, and there was almost Confucius. something Christian right. that was there. I mean it was just kind of a, and I said, "Well, what religion is this?" And, and she said, it's a combination. I mean, you know, this village's religion was an amalgamation of all of these religions. And here is the interesting thing about the religion of this village: there is a pheasant. There is a statue of a pheasant where you would lay your baby on the pheasant, and the baby would be healthy because of the prayers and the pheasant and the. I mean, isn't that amazing? You think about really, it. The religion yes. of the of the village, uh, but. Um, we were in there, and they were playing Parcheesi or some kind of game in the church because it was also their community center. Of course. And all these old men, and uh, they're all sitting in there playing games and, and drinking tea. And we got in there, and we we had our interpreter, and she says, I can't understand what they're saying. I mean, Different dialect. this is like five miles from the city where this woman lived. And she says this is a special time because most of these people never saw anybody with, blonde hair or not black hair or with white skin um and these men were really tickled and uh one of them offered a special tea to Joni and me and uh, so we drank their special tea which tasted like you know chicken um uh,
0: I have a feeling it didn't taste really good. It tasted pretty good. Oh, it was okay. The way it you tasted, said chicken it, it um, made me think about I chicken bouillon. Is, you know, you, oh, you boiled okay.
1: chicken bouillon, and it's kind of salty, but yeah. it has a kind of a um, okay. chicken flavor pheasant. to it.
0: <laughs> so you were and okay pheasant, with it. So? Yeah, I mean, it could have been
1: pheasant flavor. You know, <laughs> you never know. Uh, oh. Anyway, the the point I'm I uh, get was, to the point, Rick. Well, it was just that um, tea was uh, thought to be healthy. This is a special tea. She said, "I'm kind of thinking that they're telling you that this is going to make you healthy. this healthy and give you great future." So to this
0: day, the Chinese will believe. Many Chinese believe that it's very healthy.
1: There's there is healthy. There's health derived in their special teas.
0: Very good. And it is, you did get to the point, it is
1: the boiling <laughs> that matters, not not the. Uh, not the not the specialty, supplement.
0: but boiling the water yeah, makes a big difference. Is. Hey, we're due to take our uh, second break. Well, we want to talk about the show tomorrow we're going night, to do which is, is to about stroke. we're going to talk about the show, but even more importantly, we did get a call. So okay. we appreciate that call. We'll Thank get you. to your question right after these words. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. We've heard some interesting stories from Dr. Holm and uh, the history of medicine and what's happened and the different things people believe, like tea can be sacred and it can be uh, healthy as well. Whether it's true or not, it made them feel healthy, so it probably was true. We said we're going to talk about tomorrow night's TV show, but before we do, I think we should answer the question of a woman who just called in, and she would like you to explain the signs of women's heart attack. Um, How a blood clot could get caught in the heart. So two different things. So how a blood clot could get caught in the heart would that be tied into a woman's heart attack
1: oh absolutely oh
0: all right then you tell us about it you can tell i have no medical background i'll just well, read the questions
1: all right let's 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 talk a blood clot within the heart can cause a stroke it usually doesn't cause a heart attack and a blood the most common reason for a clot within the, the chambers of the heart Uh, to cause a stroke is atrial fibrillation or fibrillation or irregular rhythm, and the atrium is not emptying. It becomes kind of quivering, doesn't empty well, clot can form, and then um, once uh, it's in there, it kind of slips out through the valves and out to the heart or to the brain or anywhere else. Uh, If it's on the right side of the heart, it flips to the final filter, the lung. Uh, if it's on the left side of the heart, it can flip to the carotid arteries, to the, uh, to the arms and legs and kidneys. And, and, uh, but if it goes to the brain, you, know, you have a major stroke. That's a dangerous thing.
0: So the but reason that a blood clot would get caught in the heart is because of AFib then?
1: Most commonly because okay. of atrial fib. Mm-hmm. Now, it can also occur because of valve abnormalities where the valve is sick or there's an infection on a valve. Uh, and then you have infected clots flipping to the brain. Okay. Neither so one good. <laughs> neither one of them good. And but and probably unrelated to her question because she's talking about a heart attack. Heart attack is when a clot forms within the arteries that feed the heart, the coronary arteries, and uh, that they can happen because of two reasons mainly. One is because people, as they age, or because of Uh, familial reasons can sometimes develop a clotting disorder and they'll clot easier and so if you're clotting easier you can clot within the vessels that feed all of our cells you know all of the uh, the the arteries and the arterioles and the smaller smaller get smaller uh, feed all of the every single cell of the body gets a blood flow uh, uh, and gets fed oxygen and nutrients uh, but uh, sometimes they get so small uh, they'll they'll clot off. As we age, sometimes those arteries tighten. They get uh, scarring, and there's a, 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 a eddies and and uh, the stream uh, you know is too tortuous and too closed off, and um, you know a. Uh, uh, dam can occur, you know, just from... And the, that'll cause a blood clot. And that's a clot, a clot. A clot right. can occur in a, in one of those arteries that are closed off. Uh, the other is the hypercoagulability. So that's what happens to cause a coronary event. Now, let's talk about women. They're different than men. Women are different, and, and we can make good jokes about it. You know, women are are uh, more sensitive men are more intelligent men men <laughs> m- men or women are more intelligent the women and, women are more intelligent uh, so keep going uh, some some <laughs> don't know how when to ask for direction there's a lot of differences but the 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 differences are uh more s- significant when we're talking about symptoms of heart attack the classic symptom of a heart attack in a man would be uh, uh, crushing substernal chest pain that radiates into the neck and down the left arm. That's the classic story. The, the reality is that it doesn't happen like that all the time, even uh, in men. In women, it's much more unusual to have the classic symptoms. And women can have no symptoms at all. Sometimes they'll have jaw pain, but sometimes they'll not they'll have a chest pain that might go down to the right arm. Uh, women' symptoms for heart attack are more u- usually not usual they they're
0: unusual symptoms.
1: Women uh, are not typical and they will uh, present with unusual symptoms. sometimes it seems like it's heartburn and stomach and issues and um and not heart. And so it's more difficult to try to diagnose by symptoms from a woman that there's a heart attack going on. And so it's, it, and, and interestingly, uh, the classic heart attack that occurs in a 40 or 50 year old hypertensive uh, 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 central obesity man uh, just doesn't occur in women. They don't have as many heart attacks.
0: Well, women do have heart attacks, so how do they find they out that they're have having a heart attack? A young, no, they don't have as many as young fewer. men. They have okay. fewer
1: young men type of heart attack. So that then it's more typical that they don't have heart attack. Older women will have a heart attack more often. And, uh, and then the issue is how, what kind of symptoms. So the answer I'm, I'm trying to struggle with, let me just summarize. Women don't have as many Heart attacks as a young male do. Young men are more commonly the culprit uh, or the, the person who has a who has premature heart attack. Uh, so the heart attack occurs in, when it occurs in women, it's, it's usually older. In women, the symptoms are less typical and uh, often are uh, not, no symptoms at all. And they'll have a silent heart attack and they end up weak and then you find that there was a heart attack weeks ago, you know, um, and so people are criticized for not uh, thinking that win, women can have heart attacks, and not considering the idea that women can have heart attacks, and, and uh, uh, doctors are, are um, uh, that was the big thing in the 80s and 90s, you know, doctors, you got to be alert, women can have heart attacks, it's just not as typical, and it's usually older, and you have to be aware that women can have heart attacks, but that's usually different than it is in a man.
0: Okay. Well that was a complicated question and you (sighs) gave the best answer you could. It just it's not difficult. We did say that we would talk about tomorrow night's program and of course initially you talked about strokes, which is tomorrow night's program. The program will have Doctor Holm and his guest is uh Justin Person. No no, not just, sorry. Justin
1: called yesterday. Oh, no, Justin Death can't be there. Death in the family.
0: There. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> so you may have a guest, you may not, but you'll be there.
1: No, no, we do have a guest. Oh, you do? Guest.
0: So who are you going to have Dr. with Dr. Jeff
1: Boyle. I found out this morning, Dr. Boyle will be filling in for Dr. Person.
0: And is Dr. Boyle also with the uh, group, neurology group in Sioux Falls? Yes. He is? Okay. Yep. So it's the Avera Medical Group, group Neurology, Neurology in Associates Sioux Falls. in
1: Sioux Falls. And it's Dr. Jeff Boyle, MD, PhD. Oh. Uh, and he's, you know, a delightful fellow, and he'll be great. He's the head of their stroke group. so uh, Very
0: kind of him to come in on short notice. Filling
1: in. He's happy to do it. Um, initially, I think
0: people should know that when you do this show on Thursday nights and you have the top physicians in the region, not just in the state, because you've had Dr. Trudy come in from Mayo... You have the top physicians out of their own pocket. Any travel expense, any time away from their patients, it's theirs. They it's, are it's, paid nothing. Well, it's we give them a glass of wine, if, or well, a Coca Cola if they want <laughs> one But overall, it is really a benefit to this whole community that they come and it's that you are, and they come because of you know who.
1: Good yeah. old Dr. Holm. I they
0: d- believe this man, and they know he's doing good, so they come. Uh, I have I, to praise you. That's I a generally give
1: them three times as much money as I get. For I three bet you it. do. Yeah. Hey,
0: we're <laughs> going to take a break. We'll be back right after these words. <laughs> Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. During the break, Bob mentioned when we're talking about heart attacks and, and strokes, um, and strokes in people often, for many years, have taken a baby aspirin. You're kind of hearing mixed feelings on that. Some articles are saying that may not be the safe thing. Or when a person has a heart attack, should you try to give, if you think they're having a heart attack, should you try to give them an aspirin? Tell us about your thoughts on aspirin.
1: If you think that you're having a heart attack, taking an aspirin right now is probably a good idea.
0: Good idea, Uh, got it.
1: If you think that you're having a stroke, don't have the aspirin, get in. You have a window of opportunity to get a powerful blood clot reducing agent uh, tpa and or we used to call it streptokinase i mean it's basically the same thing a very powerful blood thinner and and if everything is right and you have it the timing is right and it's the kind of stroke that it works and it's in the right place in the brain you can take that and you can see that people come out of it and the stroke reverses and goes away
0: Oh, that's phenomenal. It's but a phenomenal But they have to thing. get in there in the right amount of time. Right. And it's Short this, amount of time. And it's the
1: same story with a heart attack. If you can catch it right, you can reverse it with a blood clotting, uh, clot buster drug. Okay. So uh, that's the first lesson, and I love you'll hear that again tomorrow night over and over. Get in if you have had any symptom of a stroke, which is weakness on one side, vision changes, speech changes, any neurologic event, and then it goes away. That means, ooh, you have a window of opportunity. To get on in. So that's, that's an important lesson. Uh, and But sometimes people will have an acute stroke, and it's a bleed. Now think oh. what happens if you thin the blood and it's they're a already bleed. bleeding? Not good. So the idea of an aspirin a day uh, has been discussed. And in asymptomatic, normal people, 40s and 50s, probably doesn't. The The risk is equal to the, to the advantage. Uh, on the other hand, if you've had a stroke or you've had a TIA, uh, uh, aspirin is a very powerful and effective medication. Um, and so... Uh, that's the the answer I would I'd give to you on that one. So I'm personally on a baby aspirin, Bob. And I think, you know, when we get into our 60s, it's probably a reasonable idea. And there's some debate about it. But, you know, clotting, we acquire clotting problems as we get older. So enough. Okay. Time to enough, end, I guess. Enough,
0: enough. We've run out of time. But we hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program. And we'll listen again for Prairie Doc brought to you by the Avira Medical Group Brookings. Good luck tomorrow night and good Good being with you, Dr. Holm. That's all for today.
1: Thank you, Joan. And thank you, Bob. And stay healthy out there, people.